game on Sunday did not go uh, in the Browns' favor, but the Browns' season's over. Uh, we're doing a little season recap here on the This Is Believe One podcast, and of course, Jordan Cohen is back. Welcome back, Jordan. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on all year. This has been really fun. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we've had a, a lot of fun talking about the Browns this year, um, things that have been positive and negative and sometimes in between. But overall, I, f- I felt the season was a positive. But before we get to the season review, let's talk about Sunday. Um, that game was closer than I thought it should have been, and the Browns had a legitimate chance to win, and I, I think they could have won that game. Yeah, I mean, it was – it's so weird, right? Because of one mind, I'm like, you know what? For three quarters, they went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs team that had Pat Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And then it's also like, well, but in the fourth quarter, they got beat by Chad Henney. And, and so it's tough, right? It's tough to balance those things because if Mahomes doesn't, if Mac Wilson does not, and I don't care what anybody says, that Mac Wilson may have not meant to hurt Mahomes, but you can't, you should not be tackling like that, period. Mm-hmm. Um, you grab him by the next room to the ground. If, if Mac Wilson doesn't do that, I don't think the Browns, because I think what happens is the Chiefs score on the next drive. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they don't, so Jason Lloyd was talking about this, and it's interesting. If Mahomes is in and the Browns defense stops on that next drive, does Kevin Stefanski punt? And I thought about the same thing. I would say no. I don't think he punts. Right. Right. And, I mean, to be fair, like, I, I, do I think he should have punted? No. Do I totally understand why I'm fourth and nine at your own 30? with the other team having Chad Henney who hasn't taken a snap since, like, 2014, why you would punt, yes. That, that to me, is it wasn't a bad decision, at least, like, at the time. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, I think it may have, like, you know what? The Browns' offense was figuring it out. Like, by that drive, they had kind of figured it out, and there was a few bad snaps, but I don't know. I mean, it's tough, right? Like, I want to be excited, and I am. It's been a great year, but... Mm -hmm. It's also, it feels like that was a game we could have won with just a few different calls. I'm less mad about the decision to punt there than I am about the defense being completely horrible at the absolute worst time. Yep. yep. That's what makes That's me, awful. it's what irritates me more is because they needed to step up and do something, which they've done, they did an okay job of for the most part of that game. I mean, they, they forced... Kansas City to kick a couple field goals. Uh, luckily, they missed one. Um, Chad Henney threw that ridiculous lollipop interception to the end zone. But they weren't able to make a stop when it mattered most. And, and, and of course, you know, we knew the Browns' defense was not a, a great or even an average unit. Um, but they, for the most part, they were playing okay. And this was just, they played bad at the absolute worst time. Yeah, I mean, I. it's tough because Jeff Woods and that defense on the whole did a few things that I was positive about, like that I thought were the right calls mm-hmm. um, in that game. But there are just some things that he's done all season long, L- literally all season long, that have not worked all season, right? Denzel Ward in zone coverage all game or – Man marking Travis Kelsey. I, I'm sorry that like that's not acceptable. No, it's not. 
Like it's not acceptable. Uh, the, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like it's not, it's not acceptable. And the, and from what I, I hear, uh, Kevin Stefanski says all the coordinators are going to be back next year. So Joe Woods will be back next year, um, which is fair given the, I'll say less than empty, you know, less than full deck of cards to play with on that side of the f- football. So I understand why the defense struggled, but still, cons- you know, conceptually and schematically, a lot of what he did was still just bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. I do. Like, I hear this, that there was just not really a good kind of defensive, en- enough defensive talent, but... I don't also think that's entirely true. Like, the defensive line wasn't great, and mm-hmm. Miles Garrett clearly is not the same guy he was. But, like, the defensive line is not untalented. Do they need to revamp it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's largely because I just think defensive line is hugely important. Mm-hmm. But the defensive line isn't terrible, right? For all the criticism that the safeties got, Harrison actually had a really good season. Like, yeah. he's not a stud, but he doesn't make mistakes out there. Mm-hmm. And Denzel Ward is one of the best shutdown cornerbacks in the NFL. And when he wasn't playing Travis Kelsey, he played very well. So I, I don't buy for a second there was nothing Joe Woods could have done. I thought some of the, like most of the game we were in cover three. And I think most of the game that worked pretty well. But there's things you can do within cover three. And that's what bugs me about Joe Woods. And you and I have talked about this. It's the Seattle scheme, mm-hmm. right? And it's you run the same three different variations of cover three all game long, and if it's not working, you just keep doing it. Yeah, and it, that particular scheme it has been dying for some time now. It, it's 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 no longer viable, in my opinion. You can't keep running the Seattle scheme. It, it, it had its moment like seven years ago, or you know, what was it, five, six years ago that Seattle went to the Super Bowl. You know, Legion of Boom, all that other crap. But the, the talent that that defense had in the secondary and in the linebacking group was so, so far superior to what they have in Cleveland that even if they wanted to run it and it was still a viable system, they don't have the the right personnel to do so. I mean, that system basically requires all pros at all levels of a defense because the whole idea behind it is mm-hmm. you are one-on-one in a zone scheme, uh, both defense and... So that's why... Woods very rarely rushes more than five, right? It's four mm-hmm. or five men rushes, and then every single player in the back line has a zone, and they need to communicate with each other, and they need to know the system so they can trade off between those zones. And you have one single high safety, so there's one safety there to help. I mean, that that scheme doesn't work with, like, uh, average defense, let alone a defense with, at best, one starting quality linebacker and one starting quality safety. Mm-hmm. It, it's absurd. Pick a scheme to adjust to the talent. And, and, and it seems like he's someone who was a, a product of the talent in San Francisco, ta- uh, a product of um, having, just being at the right place at the right time. I mean, because let's be honest here, that 49ers defense that he was in charge of, or, you know, was part of was so much better than what Cleveland has, which is why you see the the quick drop off. And I, I think uh, 
a lot of people that have been championing the uh, the hire of uh, Robert Sala in New York should be very much concerned because we've literally seen San Francisco to somewhere else and it not work at all. So that's right. just my opinion on that, and I'm, I'm, I'm I think you share the same opinion. Yep, totally, one hundred percent share. I, I just I think that there is it, it is so difficult to run that scheme in today's NFL. Like, I, I just think that it is not a, it's not viable. And it's, and it's definitely not viable with this talent. So, I mean, they just torched us on jet sweep motion all game long. Mm-hmm. All game long. They ran the same play. Like, it, on the athletic football show, they were talking about this. That play that they converted that last first down on, that mm-hmm. Tyree kill motion play, they had run that play four times, the exact play from the exact same formation. They had run it four times that game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't worth it. They burned us the first three times. You adjust that defense so the second you see Tyreek Hill in motion, you trade off, right? Like So the Packers game, where they scored that touchdown off the double motion, mm-hmm. where Devontae Adams went to one side and then went to the other, and they didn't trade off like Jalen Ramsey tried to follow him and just got beat. Packers tried that a few more times that game, and they busted it every time, right? The Rams learned. There was no learning. We just did the same thing. I mean, that's that's an issue defensive coordinator-wise. That's also an issue of the people on the field-wise not recognizing mm-hmm. something they've seen three times already. Right, right. No, I mean, this defense, like, I, so on the positive end, I think the offense has a lot of promise. Do I think Baker is it in terms of, like, a perennial top 10, top 8 guy. No, I don't. Do I think Baker probably is good enough to be a quarterback that has his team in the playoffs every year, every other year? We'll see. I'm not entirely convinced, but I think given what we've seen the second half of the season and with Stefanski, there's some promise that he can be that. Um, So I'm excited about the offense, and we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, but the defense to me is just there are so many holes, and you don't have like the ability. It, you, we will be able to sign one free agent to a long-term deal, um, and after that, I think that it is going to be very kind of challenging. Um, like I, I don't. You, so you sign one guy and draft two, right? So let's say they sign an end or sign a linebacker, draft a cornerback, and then whatever that third one is, they draft that. You, Sheldon Richardson's gone, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're not going to pay him a lot of money. He's gone. So Ogunjobi's a free agent. So you have Andrew Billings coming in um, and Jordan Elliott. Jordan, Jordan Elliott's been fine. I don't think he'll ever be a starting defensive tackle based on what he's shown this year. But like, So you have a huge hole defensive tackle. You still have two linebacker positions you need to fill. And you have a sorry, uh, sorry, I, I got lost. Yeah, you have like linebacker. You got you need a safety. You probably need another cornerback too beyond one starter. There are just so many holes, and I don't know that they're going to be able to fill like with pro ready guys. I don't know if they're going to be able to fill it. I mean, it's it's not going to be easy. 
Uh, they do have uh, quite a few of their own uh, upcoming or impending free agents uh, in-house that they need to address, which is something I'm currently working on, uh, what I think that they should do. Uh, in, in my opinion, I, I think in regards to Larry Oak and Joby, um, I think that they should... I think his status should be tied to whether or not they keep Sheldon Richardson. So if they keep Sheldon Richardson, don't re-sign him. If they decide to move on from Richardson, explore re-signing him. You know what I mean? Yep, exactly. To, to, to try and, one, keep some consistency. And two, keep the talent level there at least average. I, I mean, uh, Okunjobi's had up and down moments throughout his career. I don't think he's ever going to be a consistent defensive tackle, but I do think he is capable of making the occasional play. I guess to me, it just depends how much Okunjobi wants. Um, but like, if Okunjobi is going to get even a, if Okunjobi is going to cost you eleven million, I would rather keep Sheldon Richardson. Same. And I guess to me that's what it comes down to. If you need Ogan Joby for like nine million, then you probably say, you know what, we have Billings coming in. He's not the same type of defensive tackle as Richardson is, and neither is Jordan Elliott. But we can address that other hole in the draft, right? Like mm-hmm. you can get kind of those big mainly defensive tackles that fill space that are designed to I, I never remember the techniques, but whatever the technique is, kind of the run stuff or a guy that can basically eat a double team, mm-hmm. those are guys you can find in the third, fourth round of the draft that can be day one starters. So I see your point. Yeah. It, it, I think the one advantage of keeping Richardson and letting Ogunjobi go is I think Billings can come in and start where Ogunjobi did. I do too. And it, this is something we're going to circle back to, but uh, the way I see it, it's about long-term investments and capitalizing on a short-term contention window because the contention window is open. Let's let's be real here. It's yep. open, but how long that window is is not very long because once 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 the window's open and once you have certain players on contracts that expire at a certain time, I'm talking within the next 2 years, you need to, d- to find the right balance between Elevating the team on the short term while still adding long-term pieces so you don't fall off a cliff. Yep. Well, and I mean, I I think at this point, regardless if I'm a huge fan of it or not, I think the Browns are going to try to talk to Baker this summer into giving him a five-year extension because I think what the Browns are going to be afraid of is Baker repeats second half performance of this season all next season, Mm -hmm. and then it's costing him 50 to $60 million more. And so I think they're going to try – I don't think they'll give him like a Deshaun Watson deal or anything, but I would not be surprised if they try to give Baker an extension for five years, four years maybe, whatever he'll take that gets him 30 to $35 million. Um, So a little bit smaller than the, some of the other big deals, but still sizable. And when that kicks in, like at this point, I find it hard to believe they're not going to extend Chubb. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. But I find it hard to believe. I think Chubb has a few benefits that if you're going to extend Baker, you're probably going to have to extend Chubb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we saw what Baker looked like without Chubb. 
Yeah. Right. We, we've seen it all year, but especially when Chubb was hurt. Mm-hmm. And people can say whatever they want about Baker just totally improving in the second half of the season. He did. he did. I think a large part of that was like his mild improvement combined with getting Chubb back. Yeah. Uh, um, they're completely tied together. You know. And so, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. And they're completely tied together. It's, it's, Chubb takes pressure off of Baker because Chubb now becomes the focus of the defense. So when he's not there, they're not scared of Kareem Hunt running the ball, nor should they be. So when Chubb's not there, they're just going to stack the box and say, hey, Baker, beat us. When Chubb's there, they have to, to, I guess, respect other, I guess, facets of the offense— and it, it gives them more options to do, you know, to do offensively, and you know how they want to attack the defense. But without them, it's, they, they become very limited. And we've seen it, and it's not pretty. Right. And so you're gonna. I. I so first off, I am pretty positive Chubb is signing an extension this summer because, I mean, he's a free agent next summer, mm-hmm. and. I mean, theoretically, the Browns could just franchise tag him next summer, put a two-first-round tag on him. He'll be a top-five paid running back. Like, I don't see the value in doing that over just giving him a three-year, four-year extension or even five-year extension now. Like, if you give him a five-year extension, it sucks the last two to three years. Um, but you're probably getting him for cheaper. At the end of the day, you franchise tag him next year, you're probably still sending him that long anyways. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be more expensive because he's not going to take a pay cut. So I think they're going to extend him this summer, probably very similar to the Derrick Henry contract. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit cheaper, but – and you're going to extend Baker, which, to your point, looping us back around, means this is really the last window where you can add a key piece and where you need to start thinking about what your long-term build looks like. Like, mm-hmm. how can you compete in the short term while maintaining this long-term thing long-term team yeah and and as as we saw uh on sunday they were missing odell beckham jr very much because there are a lot of times it's just like you know it'd be really great right now a a, a, (laughs) you know swing pass to odell or a slant to odell and it just it wasn't there right they just they right they, they need someone that has that that x factor ability and they were well. No, they they had that guy in the field. I trust me. I saw it all over Twitter. Shard Higgins is that guy. <laughs> he really can be the X receiver in an offense. I saw it all over Twitter. The stats back me up. He gets like when he catches the ball, he's like averaging something like fourteen yards per reception, which must mean just like looking at the basic data, like hashtag math, looking at the data, Higgins is basically the best receiver on the team. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> but yes, I agree. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> uh, Rashard Higgins. Uh, we'll dive deep into him a little bit later. Um, but you know, they need they need Beckham back. They need Landry back. They have them both under contract. Um, and so, in terms of contention window, I think their contention window is directly tied to those two still being on the team. Honestly. So my friend made a really interesting point. So he works at Fox 8, and okay. he, he he's not, like, in the know, but he knows people that are talking. And he made an interesting point, and, like, I take this kind of with a 
not that he knows anything, but something that he knows people that know enough where this is something that I could see the Browns thinking mm-hmm. is that Odell Beckham this summer is a perfect contract restructure candidate. Yes. Like it is perfect because he's coming off an ACL mm-hmm. and the history of receivers with an ACL injury are bad. Mm-hmm. And he only has, I think two years left on that deal, two or three years left. The Browns basically can add a year or two, depending on if it's two or three and say, we're going to cut $5 million a year from your contract. Mm-hmm. But but you'll get an extra, so it's safety. And he may be willing to do that, and that has two benefits. One is every million you save now is huge, but two is it also makes him easier to trade. Mm-hmm. You, so I think that's really interesting. You know who else would be great for a contract restructure? Is Jarvis Landry. Yeah, oh, and I think he'll take it. I mean... Everybody's like, oh, you got to get rid of Jarvis Landry. And by everybody, I mean like one tweet, Twitter personality and his select group of followers. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, like, oh, you trade Jarvis Landry because this offense runs mainly two receiver sets and they attack the middle and deep middle of the field. Like, I'm sorry, have you watched Jarvis Landry all this season? Like, he has been arguably, he's definitely been the most consistent receiver. Mm-hmm. He's arguably been the most consistent player on the entire team. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always open. The the one play that he he caught this great pass, and it, it like, looked like a great Baker throw. It was a third and long, and he mm-hmm. catches this pass. And then they showed the replay, and he just burned his cover guy. Mm-hmm. Like, burned him. I remember it was right after the big Higgins reception in the second quarter, and I remember texting you being like, the Higgins reception was Baker Mayfield. Like, Baker yeah. threw him open. That Jarvis reception was entirely Jarvis. Yeah. This is a clear difference between somebody like a Landry and like someone like a Higgins. Uh, Landry is someone who can get himself open. Uh, Higgins is not. Uh, Higgins right. gets open right. because of a, a collapse in coverage or uh, they're focusing on other superior players. Um, yep. Yep. I think that Landry is a guy too. Like. It seems to me that he loves the organization. Mm-hmm. So I think he could be a guy where you could say, listen, man, we're not going to be able to pay you this much money after this year. So after this year, no matter how well you perform, we'll either trade you or you can agree to a restructure. We cut you about $5 million next year. We'll pay you the same thing this year. And then we'll extend you through five more seasons, which honestly is not a bad deal for the Browns because absent a freak injury, which can happen, but absent that, Jarvis Landry is the type of receiver that's going to be good until he's 40. Yeah, he just has that... He doesn't rely on athleticism. Yeah, he's not, he's not a speed-reliant guy. He's not someone... He just has the like that, that savvy that a receiver has to have to continue to be good and get open throughout his career. Yep, he has the same thing Harrison Bryant has, or mm-hmm. I should say Harrison Bryant has the same thing Jarvis has, which is he finds space. Yes. Like, he just finds space. And it's not, like, covered. Like, it's not the play design that creates that space. Mm-hmm. Like, he finds it. And that is so useful, especially with a quarterback like Baker, who is probably never going to be kind of, I, I don't think, that, like, Matt Ryan. He'll never have that Matt Ryan type season. Mm-hmm. I think he may get, but I don't think he'll have that type of season. So you need that from a guy like Jarvis. You need that from your receiver. Yeah, and and perhaps one of the most underrated aspects, and it's something that 
<clears throat> that person we mentioned earlier uh, doesn't really appreciate is the culture factor uh, of Jarvis Landry. He's a total culture guy. He's a guy you need in your locker room. Every single time someone mentions that to that guy, he does something stupid, like posts a picture of a guy holding his gun to his crotch or something. It's absolutely ridiculous. But Landry is really a huge culture guy, and they need that. You take him out, and you're you're back to where you were before, and that's no culture, and that's not where you want to be. No, I mean, this is what people don't realize, because when they talk about sports teams, there's like this tacit assumption that it is unlike any other workforce in the entire world, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, it just has to be, right? Because otherwise, how can you tweet about it? <laughs> so, but, but the reality in any job, like, we have all worked jobs where the office environment has not been great, whether it's because those were, like, kind of our first jobs or because, like, just somebody got hired at a job we liked and that person didn't fit in with the chemistry. And then the whole thing is miserable until that person leaves or until there's a restructuring or et cetera, something mm-hmm. like that. And football teams are the same way. Every sports team is the same way. Even Daryl Morey, like the founder of kind of this heavy analytics movement in basketball, said straight up that they have been working for a decade on how to try to make kind of that chemistry and that like team morale almost quantifiable, right? And for him, and that makes sense. But in general, that's him admitting it matters. And yes. they don't know how, but they know it matters. The, the thing Jarvis matters because of that. Jarvis the, could suck, and he matters because of that. The, the thing is that you can't quantify that with a number. I think that's where I, why a lot of times people, I guess, dismiss it so easily. Is that you can't point to it and be like, look, the, here's a number. that Here's this metric that says culture factor, 7 out of 10 or right. something. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> You know, it's it's not something that you could. You just have to watch yeah, it. You my, have my to see point it. It's just like Maury, like who is this Quan guy? Cares about it. Like yeah. he knows it's really important. But you know, Jarvis is that guy, and that's a guy you want. So right. I, I know everyone, at least the person we've referenced a couple times here, has uh, done nothing but hammer the seven receptions for twenty yards that Landry had on Sunday. But I'm sorry, but that was the game plan for that day. I, I don't understand what people don't understand (laughs) yeah i mean like what i should say about and like let's just like we can be open i don't i mean i don't like it's pete smith and pete smith sometimes has good takes and sometimes he's really informative but like he and there's a few other personalities have this just straightforward like very clear future plan for the browns it involves trading or cutting jarvis landry not extending nick chubb not extending Kareem Hunt, right? Like letting Kareem Hunt expire after next year, which like, I mean, if you're going to get rid of Chubb, then you have to keep Hunt. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, so, I mean, their entire strategy revolves around creating three holes. Then they're going to say you need to re-sign Higgins to like a $14 million a year contract. I mean, it, to me, it's this kind of like oversimplification of a process that's not that complicated to begin with. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why are we making something way simpler than it even needs to be, right? It's clear. Jarvis is a locker room leader. You re-sign that. You, or you, not, not re-sign it, but you don't let that go. However you have to get it to work, you get it to work. I think people may underestimate, and you've mentioned this all season, that may mean keeping Odell. Mm-hmm. 
and if that's the case, then you're just going to have to deal with it. Like you'll have to figure out a way to make it work. It also means like people can say whatever they want about Nick Chubb. JC Treader said it yesterday at the post game press conference. Nick Chubb's a leader on that team. So not only is Nick Chubb probably your most explosive offensive player, he's also a leader. I don't think you can get rid of that without some alternative in place. And maybe eventually that alternative is Baker and Miles really kind of mature mm-hmm. and become just huge locker room leaders. And then you can change that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're there yet. And I think Baker's leadership style somewhat requires the more kind of like – aggressive nature of Jarvis Landry's Mm -hmm. and the more kind of just straight up work oriented nature of Dick Chubbs. I think it does because I think Baker is, and I think this is like intangible that has been good all season, including against Kansas city. He's cocky. Mm -hmm. Like, and the team follows that, but like that can only get you so far. Right. And we've seen that with Aaron Rodgers, where Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I'm not comparing Baker to Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers like has this cockiness to him that his team always knows they have a chance when he's on the field. But the Packers are only good when they complement that with other guys around him, like a Devontae Adams, mm-hmm. who's very similar to the Nick Chubb type, right? And so I don't think we need to make that process more simple. It's very straightforward as it is. I mean, you can't get rid of these guys. To me, I think it's funny that for the, the longest time, the Browns needed skill position players on their team. And the first time we've had them in like a decade, people can't wait to kick them out the door. I know. Wait, can we talk about something too? Because I keep seeing this, oh, well, Kevin Stavansky doesn't run many three-receiver sets. Because I, I've seen that repeated over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that that's why you don't need Jarvis Landry in this offense. Well, okay. Let, let's just like look at the best versions of this offense. And I don't know the past three years, just mm-hmm. three years, right? So like yeah. not digging back, not going to Mike Shanahan or anything like that. Okay. Packers this year, they have that, uh, Devante Adams guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Valdez Scantling has been great this season. Mm-hmm. And then they have like this, just like group of third receivers that have really been lacking this year. And I mean, Aaron Rodgers makes everybody look good, but I mean, Aaron Rodgers straight up has said like, it would be nice to have that other target. And what the Packers have done a little bit is they have, like, running backs are very good in the pass game. And they have tight ends. And it, it's similar to us, except with Aaron Rodgers. But yeah. they also have better top two receivers, or better top receiver. Uh, I don't think Valdez means anywhere near Jarvis, but he's mm-hmm. solid. Um, then the year before, let's look at the 49ers, who had three receivers, by the way. They had more than three receivers. And they used every single one of them, right? I mean, Debo Samuel is a key one, right? Like, yeah. Debo Samuel would take 8 million snaps for the Browns, right? Because he just, like, he, what he can do in motion changes the way teams can defend that offense. You saw the Chiefs stack the box because, like, I love Jarvis. Jarvis isn't a great motion receiver. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't threaten teams because he doesn't have the breakaway speed. If you have Debo Samuel, they can't stack the box like that. Mm-hmm. Um. And then let's look at the Rams the year before, who had Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and Robert Woods. So, I'm sorry. All these offenses, like the best versions of them, either have a number one receiver that is just complete dynamite, like what you hope Odell could become, mm-hmm. or they have three receivers, one of which is a position we 
like if you get rid of Jarvis, you don't have any more, mm-hmm. right? You have short to intermediate root guy. So I hate this argument. Like I despise this argument that we only need one receiver and Richard Higgins. I mean, it's, I mean, if anything, the they don't use three receivers argument is perfect reason to not bring back Richard Higgins. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, he's the one that's a free agent. Let's be real here. <laughs> also, everybody's like, oh, he's going to get 14 million a year. Over my dead bodies, some team giving, the only team that would ever do that would probably be the Browns just because he was their player. Nobody's giving Richard Higgins 14 million a year. Nobody. He'll be lucky to get five. I mean,. <laughs> It's absolutely absurd how the the overvalue of players like Richard Higgins. Uh, he's fine. You don't pay receivers who are fine. Right. His year this year, numbers wise, is very comparable to what he did in twenty eighteen, which is you don't pay for that. You don't pay for you know just under forty receptions and under six hundred yards. You can find that guy no. on the street for nothing. Also, not only that, but the same guy that makes the play that very possibly could have cost you a trip to the AFC Championship game. Yeah, he, he I, did. I know there's there's this like, oh well, in the moment, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sorry, receivers don't do that. Good receivers don't do that. No, it, and you know what would happen if Rashard Higgins played in New England and that happened? He would have been benched for the rest of the game. Okay. Right, so let's look at like the scenario where Richard Higgins doesn't do that, right? So there's a minute and a half left on the clock. He gets mm-hmm. tackled at the one-yard line. The Browns, the Chiefs would stack line. The Browns would do what they do every time. They'll run it once, right? Yeah. So you take 40 seconds off the clock. That 40 seconds means the Chiefs don't get that last field goal, mm-hmm. right, to go up nine or to score half 19. Yeah. Then you run it again. You score the touchdown. Then you're tied. Yeah. Or actually, yeah, you're tied going to happen. And you get the ball to start the next half. That play was a, a ten point swing. That it was a ten point swing, and that's a play. And then you go into the second half, and rather than kind of changing what I think the initial game script was, at least for that first drive, mm-hmm. where Baker threw it just straight to Teron Matthew, rather than doing that, you are running the ball more, right? You're doing these short dink and dunks because you know now you have the ball advantage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it changed the entire game, the entire complexion of the game. Yeah, the, it was a dumb play. What it comes down to is the, the middle, the middle third of the game they did not execute very well. Right, and, and that's usually what decides the game is that middle third, and they right. did not play well. Right, and I mean to a certain extent, I wish we had faced a more pass-heavy offense like that was dynamic this season. Mm-hmm. Not saying it needed to be the Chiefs, but like look at all the teams around the plate, even the ones that blew them out. They were not dynamic passing offenses. They weren't. And I think the Browns started this game a little bit in shock. Yeah. I think it was like, whoa. Like, And they adjusted throughout the game. I guess people say, no, Joe Woods' defense only gave up 22 points. Eh. Our offense also held the ball for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So I don't buy that entirely. But still, it seems like the defense did get better as the game went on. I mean, maybe not better enough, but better. Like, I wish we had faced a team like that. And it didn't need to be Kansas City, right? It yeah. could have been the Packers. It didn't even need to be the Packers. It could have been the Rams, right? Just, or, I mean, any 
of these kind Tampa. of like Tampa would have been great. New Orleans would have been great. Just one of these like kind of up-tempo passing teams. And so my hope is next year with who we're playing, we'll face a few of those. And so come if they make the playoffs, which is an mm-hmm. if, but if they make the playoffs, they will be more ready for it than they were this game. I, I have one question for you uh, offensively. The, the game plan on offense. I was not necessarily a big fan of it coming out uh, early on. I, yeah, thought they, I, I thought they were passing too much. I think that this is my point, right? So if you face these up-tempo passing offenses, it's very possible you go down big. Mm-hmm. But the, those offenses are beatable, and you can catch them from behind is that they're high variance, mm-hmm. right? And we saw that in this game, right? It took two drives, and we were back in it. And so I think, and then that drive, where that 17-play drive, we ran the ball a ton, mm-hmm. like a ton, a ton. And so to me, one of the bigger issues was that we weren't ready for it. We went down early, and then Kevin Stefanski broke his game script or went for the game script B, which was passing. Which, to be fair, is an improvement over his Minnesota days where like, he just would refuse to change. Mm-hmm. But I think he went to it too early. And I think there was this concern where the Browns have historically been a very bad team when they go behind 10 points. And mm-hmm. so I think Stefanski was worried and was like, okay, let me get us back on the clock. So I agree. It was not his best game. It was honestly in kind of the bottom 50% of his games. I'm okay with that. This was his third playoff game against the Bobby Fisher of offensive coordinating. <laughs> Like, I'm okay with that. I'm not, like, I saw people saying on Twitter, like, oh, this is evidence that he shouldn't win coach of the year. Like, oh, no, it's not. Stop. Like, he probably should win coach of the year for the same reasons he probably should have won coach of the year on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Like, that doesn't change anything. But it was not his best offensive game plan. I actually don't think Baker played poorly at all. I actually think Baker played pretty well. I do, too. Like, I was impressed by Baker. I thought this was one of Baker's better games, and the numbers don't show it because Rashard Higgins is an idiot. Yeah, th- there's that. There's the the incredible play that uh, Tyron Matthew made to intercept that pass. Um, yeah. But people were seemed to be either mad at Baker or that passes to Landry, wasn't it? Yeah. I think people were mad at him. I'm like, did you watch that play? Matthew ran an entire circle around him. That was all him. Yeah. The way that play worked is the play broke down, right? And Baker actually got free to make the pass mm-hmm. and then threw it thinking Landry was open because it looked like Landry had him on the route. And Teron Matthew just made a great play. And should Baker have seen Teron Matthew kind of in the corner there? Yeah, and maybe you throw the pass a little bit behind or yeah, a little bit behind Landry mm-hmm. and have Landry go back and get it. But I, I it was definitely not Landry's fault. And no. I don't think like I think we just got to give credit. Teron Matthews is an incredible player. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible player. Like that was an all-time just freak play. That was incredible yeah. to watch from you know just a, a, an objective defensive point of view. I guess it's just like there are only a very small handful of guys that make that play. Yep. Yep. No, I mean it was incredible. It was incredible. He it, Matthew really is their defense. Mm-hmm. I, that defense is very limited without Matthew, uh, like everywhere. Like everybody's like, oh, well, they got so much pressure on us. Eh, not, like, not to the degree where I thought it really affected the game that much. It, it, the problem is Tron Matthews everywhere. 
He's on yeah. like he is simultaneously on run defense and pass defense. I've never seen anything like it, mm-hmm. or at least it's so rare. It's like that Troy Palomalu height. Mm-hmm. Where he's just everywhere. Yeah, but he's, so to your point, I don't think Baker. It was Baker's fault. I think Stefanski didn't call a great game. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, and this was something that's not like a a, a fluke type of um, occurrence. Because this has happened a few times this season where he's, where Stefanski has just called a bad game. And yep. they've all been in losses. So I also, you, you got to look at the, the correlation between the two. Is that. Yeah, I mean, that's what's scary, which is that, like, if you watch, and so, like, it, the problem is we know Stefanski can't, could call, could have called a great game. Mm-hmm. Because we saw it on two different drives, right? The one where Higgins did, made stupid error was a great call drive. And then the 17 play drive was outstanding. Like, it, he could have done it. I think he got nervous early mm-hmm. on. Because honestly, towards the end, it, it was a, he did a much better job. Like, people were like, oh, he shouldn't have punted it. Like, I'm sorry, I, he, I would have punted it there. And mm-hmm. I'm a huge, in the, like, kind of, I, I get team punt too much. It's giving the ball away for no reason. Like, I, I, but I would have punted there. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, or if you, don't convert the game's over yeah. it's over and the odds of converting on a fourth and nine when our offense had been beating the chiefs with small chunk plays all game mm-hmm. is not super high so i would have punted too I, I thought he got better as the game went on i think his first quarter and half of the second quarter were miserable yeah and then he got better he kind of adjusted them i, I think to your point what is scary though to me is we lose when he doesn't call a good game Mm-hmm. Which means we only win when he calls good games. Which a to me does mean he's probably coach of the year, but b also means I am worried that the talent on this offense may not be as good as the numbers are suggesting it is. It may just be Stefanski. I, I think some of the I think that certainly applies to a couple of the players, uh, mainly Baker. Um, yeah. But, you know, Nick Chubb, we know, is good. I mean... Right, that's fair. We know he's good. We know Jarvis is good. We know Odell's good. It's everyone after that. Baker, Green, Hunt. I think offensive line. Offensive line is... uh, A couple of the players are definitely benefactors of the offense and the blocking scheme, uh, mainly Wyatt Teller. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's be honest here. There's a reason they got Wyatt Teller for for nothing. He's good in one specific scheme. And it's this. Yeah, and... That's not a bad right. thing. He's, no, not at all. And, like, to be fair, Kevin Stefanski's doing a lot of stuff with the... Like, it's not just zone blocking. Like, it was in Minnesota, like Shanahan does. Like, there's a lot of gap. There's a lot of duo. Mm-hmm. But, like, the general idea is you need your guards in this game to be athletes. They're not frequently pullers. They can pull, but we're not frequently pulling. Mm-hmm. And... So you just need them to be athletes. And that's what he has. That's what he's created, right, is this kind of, like, athletic offensive line. And I, Bill Callen deserves a lot of credit. But I think also, like, Stefanski calls plays to put them in positions to succeed. Yes. A, a, lot um, of the, a lot of the reason they've been successful and productive and looked really good on offense is because he's put them in a position to succeed. And that's something we haven't really seen that much in Cleveland for quarter century. <laughs> I mean, we saw it in 2014 with Kyle Shanahan, but, but beyond that, like, 
I mean, our our history of just coaching is so so bad. Mm-hmm. It's so so bad. <laughs> I just I don't like. I, I don't know how you miss on that many coaches. Well, it's a it's a combination of bad hires and impatience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad ownership in general, and that's really what it comes down to. Uh, <clears throat> as a whole. How do you think they did uh, on this season? Yes, we all know they exceeded both of our expectations. I think they're on the higher side of your expectations. But oh, yeah. how do you feel like the, this season? It was obviously, obviously a success, but, you know, quick summarized recap of how you thought the, the year went. I think the first half of the year was below my expectations. I was actually very concerned. Mm-hmm. After like kind of that Pittsburgh game, it was like okay, and then the Oakland game it was like oof. But to credit the team, they made serious changes during the bye week at every level of the game, right? And mm-hmm. less so than I would have liked on defense, but on offense, they 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 simplified the playbook for Baker. And Kevin Stefanski didn't say they simplified it, but he did say they started calling plays Baker was more comfortable with which means simplify it. Yes. Um, and, and that was something they should have known going in. No quarterback in year one of the scheme. So, like, as simple of a scheme as it is for running backs and even offensive linemen, it's much more complicated for quarterbacks. These quarterbacks have to call out a lot of things before the play so the players know where to run, which is so important. And that's what makes play action and running game look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And so I think they went into this year like they would have, like Stranski would have liked to go in with Kirk Cousins in year two and under this team. Mm-hmm. And I think during the bye week they adjusted and basically went to kind of the year one version of this playbook. And that worked really, really well. I think we learned a lot about the team, which is generally what is good to me. I think I, I, it's a good thing Baker performed this well in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. My concern is I don't know. I'm not saying it's not. I don't know how repeatable that is. And I think ultimately it's going to mean Baker's going to need to adapt to year two of this scheme. And, I mean, there are quarterbacks that have, right? Aaron Rodgers did. Jared Goff was in year two of the scheme when they went to the Super Bowl. Yes. Like, Jared Goff adapted. And I know Jared Goff wasn't great this year, but I think it's also a little overblown because when Jared Goff's good, he's outstanding. Mm-hmm. It's just like he has some really bad games. Um but, like, I think he's adjusted. But then there are quarterbacks that didn't. Like, Kirk Cousins had a pretty mediocre year this year. Um, and I know it was Gary Kubiak calling plays, but it was the same offense. Yeah. And just, like, generally speaking, Jameis Winston did not adjust. And so I, that is going to be a question for me. Does Baker adjust to kind of the expanded playbook here? And, and, and I wish we had seen more consistency so I could feel confident in that. And that is really the only thing to me that's like defense sucks. You and I both said going into the season, the defense was going to suck. And the second they had an injury, they were really going to suck. And mm-hmm. guess what happened? The defense really sucked. And the second they got an injury, they really sucked. Yeah. Uh, and so defense is really concerning to me that defense and Baker kind of his variance are the two things that are, knocking it down from like a 10 to a nine and a half for me, for me. Mm. And you? 
I mean, I, I, I agree a little bit. Um, I, I do think the defense definitely does knock things down a bit. Um, <clears throat> there is that high level of, uh, you like to use that word all the time, variance <laughs> that, that occurred. Um, w- when the defense was the beneficiary of turnover luck, it, it was winnable. A lot of things were a lot winnable, as we saw it against the Steelers uh, last week. But if they're not getting turnovers, they're you can't play with them. Like it's they're unusable, essentially. Right. I mean, I think this defense. So I'm going to be straight up honest here, and I hope to God I'm wrong. We do not know enough about COVID to know that Miles Garrett will ever be the same player. Mm-hmm. We don't. I, I mean, some of these X-rays of COVID lungs are scary. Mm-hmm. And Miles Garrett was a situational pass rusher against Kansas City. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I to me that's concerning because he's eating up a huge chunk of your cap, <clears throat> and that if he is kind of in a, let's say he is just the best situational pass rusher in the NFL, um, which is possible, I think, but let's say that's what he is, then he really only have one good consistent player on defense that can play every snap. And that's Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward has injury history. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is terrifying. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. Because um, Miles Garrett was clearly not the same player um, after coming back. He was tired all the time. Uh, he did not play a lot on Sunday. Um, which was expected, honestly. Uh, the the Chiefs pass a lot, and having to pass rush all the time like that is not easy, especially for someone recovering from COVID. But there, there's a lot of moving pieces that are going to happen or should happen on the defensive side of the ball. And the one concern I had with their approach with the defense last year is the lack of consistency. And I, right. I, I, you know, year over year, and I, I think that we're going to see that again moving forward. Just because of all the players they did sign on one-year deals, and outside of B.J. Goodson, they all missed. Um, I would say Harrison, but I guess he wasn't one. That was he was a, he was a trade. So that was that was a trade. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I I mean Kevin Johnson. I. I couldn't tell you when I saw Kevin Johnson playing, but it wasn't like, oh, he's a good cornerback, so that's why you never see him. It, it was like he just like if he was there, it was because somebody near him got open. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Sandejo, I mean, oh. everything that now is coming out is that he was just like this great kind of like defensive leader, and while he wasn't good, like everybody looked up to him, great. He should never start another NFL game again. If you can sign Sandejo to be a, I mean, not really a coach. Like, if you could sign him to a the super cheap deal, like one-year deal where he basically is just a locker room guy, great, fine. But he that was the flunk signing. Yeah. I think you're right. The only guy that was good was B.J. Goodson. I would bring B.J. Goodson back because I do I think the too. defense was, like, qualitatively better when he played because he was calling the plays. So I, I, I like B.J. Goodson. But I like Christian Kirksey. And my fear about B.J. Goodson is they're going to say the same thing they said about Christian Kirksey, which is he's a good tackler, but he's not good in coverage, so we're just going to reset. 
I, that's I, my concern. I hope they don't do that because, I mean, there is so much uh, turnover at the linebacker position. It, it, they actually managed to fall ass backwards into one who's actually good right. with Goodson. Right. <laughs> right. And it, it would just be a shame to be like, we signed this guy, turns out he's kind of good. So we're not going to keep him. It's like, what the hell are you doing? What was the point? Uh, right, and, right. And in regards to Sandejo, I, I said it at the time when they signed him, he should be nothing but a, a sub-package player at, at most. And right. uh, unfortunately, due to injuries, he saw, I don't know, three times as many snaps as he should have. <laughs> but, so you and I said this this summer, right? Even before Delpit's injury. Mm-hmm. This was banking a lot on a rookie. Like, Arnold Delpit was really promising in college. Like, really, really promising, especially in coverage. That is banking a lot on a rookie, right? Like, because if Sandejo's option B, that means your option A is a rookie playing the most important position on this defense. Mm -hmm. That that was unacceptable. They they need somebody else there. Their defensive approach... And, and you know, or approach to building the defense this past year was just, it was bad. Yeah. I, I, well, and I don't understand why the team didn't run more cover two. Like, cover two is the best scheme where if you have one good man corner and a bunch of other mediocre guys, that it can hide it, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's what Greg Williams did that made Demarius Randall look like an all pro. Mm-hmm. Right? It's cover two. You have two safeties helping. Listen, you're going to give up the middle of the field. We gave up the middle of the field anyways because we had one good linebacker. I mean, so what the fuck does it matter? They became up the middle of the field since they came back in 99, okay? Right. Like, <laughs> just run cover two. I mean, they're going to have to do something. I mean, because uh, they can't come back with any with a lot of the players that they signed, uh, you know, Carl Joseph, Kevin Johnson, Sandejo, they, they can all go. And I don't think anyone yep. will miss them. Um, yep. I, I totally agree. In, in regards to Delpit, I mean, the, the thing with Delpit is that you don't know what he's ever going to be. If he's ever going to be anything close to resembling the player that he was. Uh, because Wait, okay, of his injury. sorry, hold on. I, I, I looked up on Sports Info Solutions how many times the Browns ran cover two. Oh, okay. So I'll give you the, the most in the NFL this season were the Colts. They ran it on 105 snaps. So okay. I, my guess is about 20 to 25% of snaps, right? I mean, that that's what like a Greg Williams would do. Mm-hmm. And the way I know that is Jets ran it 70 times. Mm-hmm. I just want you to guess how many times the Browns ran it. Four. And then I want you to guess... Uh, okay, no, more than that. They ran it 18 times. It was the lowest in the NFL. <laughs> 18 times they ran cover two. 18 times. You have Carl Joseph and Rodney Harrison, who like are basically your two best safeties. And Harrison's fine. Carl Joseph doesn't know where to be. Run cover two and have him rush towards the quarterback every time. And we didn't do that. We were asking Carl Joseph to basically man half the field. It's stupid. It's just irresponsible. It was stupid. It was irresponsible. There was no backup between team building and coaching on the defensive end. There was no plan. But that that's what we got. We got a whole bunch of nonsense. Um, 
But what I was saying about Delpit was we don't know what, if anything, he'll ever be uh, because of his injury and the nature of his injury. And so I, I think you, you can't, like they, like, they shouldn't have banked on him this year to be their starting safety. They can't bank on him ever becoming a starter. You, you got to operate right. as if he's not there. Right. And, and so, right. I mean, I I don't know what they do. I mean, there's so many holes on this defense that you just have to triage it. I mean, there's – luckily for them, there's a ton of uh, defensive free agents available. <laughs> they should be able to find easy upgrades uh, all over the roster. Uh, I do know that they just can't spend money all willy-nilly. Uh but the the fact of the matter is is that they could sign a couple of guys who are day one upgrades over what they had this year, draft some more, and the defense goes from bad to average, which I think you can win with average for this for this can offense. this defense become average? Honest like honest question. Like let's just assume that let's say they sign a defensive end, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, that pays off, right? There's a lot of guys like that. Let's say they fi- sign kind of a utility guy in coverage, right? So the guy, if need be, could be. The, and like I'll use this in a, as an example. I know he's older, and I, I get the issues with him. But like Richard Sherman, right? Mm-hmm. Like a type like that, right? Who, if you need him to be, because Delpit isn't good, he can come in and be your starting free safety, or he could be your third corner. He could do a million different things, right? Let's say they sign somebody like that. Let's say they keep Goodson and get a linebacker similar to Goodson, right? It's kind of the surprise that plays well. And then let's say they draft a cornerback that is a rookie still, but like is decent out there. It's better than Terrence Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Is that defense even average? I'd say it's like, closer. Honestly, I'd say it's closer to average, average than bad. Yeah, but like, I mean, I. So again, I want to clarify, I'm really happy about this season. I think there were things that were awesome this mm-hmm. season that happened. Awesome, awesome. And, and I like the offense, though, was, I think, overall so good that it masked how bad this defense was. Yeah, it, it really did. Because the, the Browns were able to score, up, score 40 points and give up 30 on a routine basis. Yep, or they were able to score 30 and then hold the ball. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm just looking at yards per attempt given on defense. Like, the teams that gave up the most yards per attempt. The Browns gave up 7.27 yards per attempt on defense. Where does that work? The, the best was the Rams, which was 6.2. So, a pass attempt, by the way. Not temp, in time in general. Pass mm-hmm. attempt. Um, they gave up 7... Point two seven. You can't win with that. That they gave up a yard per pass attempt more than the best. Mm-hmm. Um, the average was the Bills, and they gave up six point nine seven. So the the that's not good. I mean, the Browns are giving up half a yard more per attempt than the at league average defense on pass plays. Mm-hmm. 
And on run plays, I'm just looking it up now that I'm here. Um, they gave up. Let's see. I think the run defense was probably better. Yeah, it was. They only gave up 4.29 yards per rush attempt, um, which is still like the Buccaneers were the best at 2.7. Mm-hmm. Or at um, 3.6, I'm sorry. At uh, 3.6, but Browns weren't bad. I mean, Browns were – still it's a yard more than the best defense. But it's closer to average, I think. I think it's only five spots away from average. Yeah, it's only five spots away from average, which is 4.5. So run defense is better which isn't surprising, right? Because teams knew they could pass against us. Mm-hmm. And outside of uh, Vegas and Baltimore, I really don't remember any team really running a whole bunch. Right. Right. I mean, we, uh, the run, again, this is what I mean about the defensive line. Like, for all their faults, I think Richardson and Ogunjobi are decent in defense. I think Burnett actually sells the run defense. Um, which back to the, your point about kind of long-term team building, I'm going to Vernon seeing exactly what he wants. Mm-hmm. Because if you can get Vernon on a cheap two-year deal, which, I mean, he may take. Like, he's injury-prone. He's not going to be ready until halfway through this next season. And you basically sign him with the idea that he is going to be your utility defensive lineman. Right? That's all you're counting mm-hmm. on him for. And if he's more than that, great. There's just so many holes. Like, I, I don't know. At some point, you just need to be, stick with the pieces you knew were. I mean, there uh, it's it's not going to be easy. They can essentially just throw uh, at, a, at a dartboard of, uh, <laughs> on the defensive side of the ball, and it'll be an upgrade for the most part. Um Looking at their um, their salary uh, cap table here, um, they they're not spending uh, an egregious amount on, on linebackers, which is understandable. Really. That's surprising. I can't believe that, given the talent they have at linebacker. <laughs> but that's the... <laughs> uh, but th- they they have uh... there's one position group where they're spending a lot of money on a player who uh, I don't know why they are, but Hooper and Najoku combined to make fourteen million dollars next year. Okay, Can, so you know, remember we were talking about Higgins and like how Higgins actually wasn't doing anything. Like, if you want to talk about a receiver that, like, to be fair to the receiver, did decent, like it making themselves get open. David Njoku deserves some credit for yesterday. With that said, they, I don't. They, I mean, he was done nothing all season long. He, his last two games were good. And they were playoff games. Like, credit to him. But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. He's what? Why do you keep David? Like, why do you give David Joku another contract? They they shouldn't. And 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 credit where credits due, he had his best game as a Brown against the Chiefs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was his best NFL game. Period. And he did really well. Like, it wasn't just being schemed open. Like, he did really well. Yeah. 
But he did finish this year. 19 receptions, 213 yards, and two touchdowns. Yep. I mean, like that's what that's what he's going to be. He's like it best. His best is a kind of backup tight end that you use mainly as a reception target. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's NFL. So I'm looking at Najoku. He's six million dollars. It says there's no dead cap hit for next year. Yeah, I think because it's the fifth-year option. Something to consider. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, or that actually makes him tradable. That in the playoff game, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, like, I think he may be tradable. Like, to a degree where you could get a fourth or fifth round pick for him. Listen, they get anything for him. You take it. Um. <laughs> yeah. No dead cap hit. Which so like you trade him early, right? Mm-hmm. And then there there are plenty of teams that need a tight end. You trade him early. The team trading form says this will cost us a fifth round pick. If he sucks, then we just cut him mm-hmm. and move on. It's actually doable now. It's very doable. It's it's very he's somehow he's movable. And I never thought that sentence would come out of my mouth. Thank you, Kevin Stefanski. But, you know, if we're looking at position groups of which to remove someone to create some flexibility, it's the tight end position group. And it's Najoku. Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, their point of credit, I don't think that anybody expected Harrison Bryant to be as good as he was mm-hmm. this season. Um, so I get spending that money on Hooper because, let's face it, the tight end, like David Najoku is not a number one tight end. And they needed somebody, I think Hooper's played long. But yeah, it's like let's move on from Njoku, get to save some money there. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And can we can we talk about the Hooper deal um, <laughs> as we're doing a little bit of a, a review here of the season? I was critical of it at the time because I never like making a player in free agency the highest paid player at the position. Now it's mm-hmm. been it's been passed up by now, but. I knew from day one that this wasn't going to work. Like, let's be honest here. The Hooper signing was a bust. It was either what gonna, they paid. I mean, it was either it was, gonna, it was either going to be Hooper or Conklin that was going to be the bust. I'm, I'm happier it's Hooper, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hooper, I think, is probably somewhere between the seventh to ninth best tight end in the NFL. Like, he's kind of at that. Maybe even like the sixth best. Like he's right at the top of the tier. That it so like the best tier is the Kelsey, right type tier. The, the, yeah. the Kelsey, the Kittles, that are total game changers. Right mm-hmm. when they're out on the field, they change the game. I actually think I don't think he's there yet. I think maybe a year or two away. I think Harrison Bryant has the potential to enter that tier. He's I, a great blocker, fine space. I do too. I don't think Cooper will ever be in that tier and the problem is where even though Cooper's at the top of kind of the next tier I don't know that he's a frequent game changer I think what Hooper is really good at is running short routes and getting open mm-hmm. and Baker you being a check down option yeah. but like are, like let's just be completely honest those check downs are we sure like Kareem Hunt couldn't run those same check downs I get like the blocking but I don't think Kareem Hunt's a bad blocker. So we need a, I mean, 
I agree. Like I, I am happy we signed Hooper at the time only because I did not trust David Njoku. And the world where we don't sign him and Harrison Bryant looks like any other rookie tight end does, this offense doesn't work. So I get the signing. It was a lot of money to pay for a just a very good tight end. It was a lot of money. Yes, yeah, so his 46 need catches. That tight end to be great. His 46 catches and 435 yards were the second lowest numbers of his career. His rookie season he being... He blocked a lot this year. He did. And he was good at blocking, but again, like... Right. They didn't sign him for blocking. Right. They, they signed him to, to catch passes and touchdowns. Well, and, but his yeah. four touchdowns were the second highest total of his career, tying his 2018 season. But it's important to, to just state the fact that the reason they signed Hooper was to be a pass catcher. Yeah, listen, I think Hooper, and I think you agree, Hooper had a good season. It wasn't that Hooper had a bad year. It's not mm-hmm. that Hooper's bad. Hooper's a good player. The question is, like, you are spending a lot of money. I mean, Hooper has, what, three more years left on that deal? Uh, four. Uh, there is a, four an out after 2023, which they would absorb okay. a seven-and-a-half dead cap hit. Which, honestly, at the time, they may not even be able to do. Um, uh, but, like, I, I mean, what makes the Hooper deal look worse is how good Harrison Bryant looked. And my... My gripe isn't with the signing of the player, it's the money they gave him. Exactly. Because, and, and, like you said, he did play good. But did he play up to the amount of money they paid him for? Absolutely not. Right. The amount of money right. they're still on, on the hook for, for the remainder of this deal. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. And but, I mean, I, again, Hooper is a little bit like Landry in the sense that I don't think Hooper is going to get much worse. Because, like, he's not going to get out of shape, right? And he doesn't have – he's not like Harrison Bryant, right, who has just this, like, really weirdly good speed for a guy that size. Mm-hmm. So I think he'll always be good, especially in this scheme. But you're paying a lot of money for a good player. And can we talk about the structure of this contract? Because I really didn't pay attention to yeah. it until right now. Uh, they backloaded the shit out of this. Yeah, interesting. That's not good. Uh, yeah, he only made a million and a half in salary, two and a half signing bonus for a $4 million cap hit this year. That doubles so, okay, so, to eight. Yeah. Then it, the third year goes to 13.2. Then 2023, it's also 13.2. So my guess is the reason they backloaded it is under the assumption that they would be extending all these guys this year. And so you basically go over the cap mm-hmm. rather than being able to extend the guys but they're going to be way over the cap and like i don't know if you've seen the stuff about where kind of like pittsburgh is right now but that's the situation pittsburgh's in Mm -hmm. or new orleans is the best example of that but we won't be new orleans bad but where you just kept kicking the can down the road and then you're so over the cap and you don't have any more like like players start becoming free agents and you literally can't resign them Mm -hmm. and that, I mean, that is where the Browns are going to be at least for one or two years, right? And, like, the Rams to figure out, like, the Rams, to their credit, just went through that year, right? The Rams went through the year where they could not really sign anybody. They got some, like, bargain bins, and they did really well with the bargain bins. Mm-hmm. So it's not impossible, but it is very difficult. 
and like Cooper is going to be like, listen, maybe they can trade him, but if you trade him, you do have another hole like a tight end. Like even if you keep Njoku, which I can't imagine them doing, but if you keep Njoku and trade Hooper, you still have a hole because you still need a tight end that's a really good blocker that can play every snap. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the problem with the contract, right? Is that like Hooper is simultaneously irreplaceable, but also on a deal where he's probably overpaid. And COVID's going to hit the salary cap this summer. Yeah. I mean, so... I know I know everyone's favorite thing to do is look at the receiving group making $3 million a year, but they always seem to not mention Hooper and how yeah, bad that Hooper, deal's going to age. Yeah, well, especially, again, if Harrison Bryant is as good as you and I think he can be. Like, By the way, that was a phenomenal draft pick. I, I know we say it all the time. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe they got something that good in the middle of the draft. But mm-hmm. anyway... If he's as good as we think he can be, that's who you're going to be wanting to pay that money to. Well, right? look, looking at the the contracts, uh, he uh, Bryant becomes a free agent the the year after Hooper's thirteen million dollar cap hit comes off the books. So good timing there. Okay. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's true. That's true. I. Yeah, I mean, again, I, to me, I don't have a huge issue with the Hooper signing. It, it, I don't like how much they paid him. But I think that, like, if you trade Njoku, the money you're spending on tight ends looks better. And if the way the structure works is that Hooper becomes a free agent when you can re-sign Bryant, then I, I guess that's fine. And it looks a little bit like the Eagles tight end room has the past few years, where you have Zach Ertz, who's getting paid a ton but your best tight end is Dallas Goder, mm-hmm. who is, and you just kind of like hush-hush everybody about the whole thing. You're like, Zach <laughs> isn't really that good anymore. Or, or like, Zach Hurts is very similar to Austin Hooper, to be honest. Like, he, he's a good player. He's not one of the highest-paid tight ends in the NFL good player. But, so maybe that's what it looks like. But, like, the problem the Eagles face this year and are going to face next year is when Carson Wentz contract extension kicked in, you're like, you cannot really build for a few years. Like your roster is locked in. And that's going to be what the Browns face, right? Cause the Browns aren't going to have as many defensive players to resign. Um, but they are going to have to resign Ward and Chubb mm-hmm. and then probably Baker. And then you're locked in. Whatever roster you have at that point, that's your roster for the next two years. You know, outside of fringe signings, bottom of the roster, guys, pretty much. Right. And draft picks. Yeah. And that's when draft picks become so important. Uh, looking at the their free agent receivers, is there any receiver that's a free agent you bring back? No. I mean, well, the, so like a guy like Kadero Hodge, I think you probably could get for really cheap. And like, Especially if you trade Njoku, I think you can use Hodge in a lot of those same ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he'll demand anything. I think you can get him for, like, I don't know what it's called in the NFL, but, like, in the NBA, like, vet minimum, I think you'd probably get Hodge for. Um, so that'd be cool bringing Hodge back. But, like, Higgins, I think, will get a contract somewhere. I don't think it'll be $14 million a year, but I think he'll get a contract. And it, it's not coming from me. Like, if I'm the round. Yeah. Um, so, Natson, Higgins, Taylor, Hodge, Hall, 
the only one I consider is Hodge, and that's only if he's not getting contract offers elsewhere. The 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 one thing I think they should uh, address, either through the draft or free agency, is just getting a burner wide receiver. I was saying this last year, man. Like I love Lavisca Chanel. Like mm-hmm. basically a guy that you can use on like sweet plays, and like just like such a threat when he's in motion because he's so fast. That can then just like bomb down the field. We've needed this for years now. Mm-hmm. We had it for half a season with Brashad Perriman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you could get somebody better than Brashad Perriman. Like, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I actually would not be surprised if in the second round they draft a receiver. This receiver class is supposedly stacked, and I think they'll take a cornerback or a pass rusher in the first round, just mm-hmm. depending on what the board looks like. In the second round, if there's a really good burner available, it would not surprise me if they took a burner. They they just need a, a fast wide receiver is is what they yep. need. I mean, because, you know, I love Beckham, I love Landry. They're not speedy. Uh, Beckham can get up to a top speed eventually. He builds up to it. Landry right. doesn't. Um, right. But they need a guy where it's just from, from the get-go, he's just running past people. Yeah, I mean, so for me, I think people misunderstand what Beckham is, and I think you just said it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Beckham's not a burner. People thought he was a burner. Beckham's like this ultimate X receiver Mm -hmm. because he, I mean, you could put Beckham in the slot, and he would be the best slot receiver in the NFL. And he basically takes that and does it to these longer routes, right? These kind of, like, bigger routes because Mm -hmm. he's just so good at finding space. But he's not a burner. Like, no. he's not an X receiver like Tyreek Hill. Nobody is like Tyreek Hill. But no. even like, a, I mean, just any of these kind of like the Pittsburgh, like Antonio Brown, right? Mm-hmm. Odell Beckham's not the same type of X receiver Antonio Brown is or was. Mm-hmm. And so we need a burner that can do kind of like that straight line, just like ultimate speed stuff. Yeah, like your job is to run go routes. I hope you yep. are in great physical shape and have done all the conditioning drills because that's your that's your role this season. Go route. We, I, I would say go route and motion. Yes. Uh, Odell Beckham was good at motion just because he's so big. When they had to do motion with Jarvis, it definitely took a step back. Mm-hmm. And they and even with Odell Beckham, teams didn't respect him in motion like they do Tyree Kill. No. Right? Or, or even, it doesn't need to be Tyree Kill like they did Brandon Cooks, who, mm-hmm. by the way, is available for trade again. He would be like that. Would be a guy I would trade for. That solves that problem if you can get Brandon Cook. Isn't he owed a lot of money? Yeah, but I think he only has one year left on his deal. I'm pulling up his contract right now. Um, yeah. Uh, nope, three years left on his deal. Okay. Twelve million, twelve million, twelve and a half. There is no dead cap on any of this, so. The... And twelve million's not terrible. It's not terrible, but considering they're already spending $30 million on Landry and Beckham, and then Hooper's right. deal is just going to increase. <laughs> not great. Yeah, he, best to draft that during the draft. He, yeah, he is... Doesn't have any dead cap on his deal. So, whatever Houston does with that, all the best. Yeah. But, yeah. so... Basically, to, to circle around to a conversation we had earlier on this is 
in regards to burners and explosive plays, which are the most misunderstood statistic in football, yep. Beckham and Landry aren't going to produce them. So getting rid of those guys because Higgins has more or whatever is completely short-sighted and wrong. I mean, I compared it to the, the barrel statistic for baseball, which is the stupidest stat of all time. If you hit it at X velocity at this type of uh, launch angle, it counts as a barrel. Well, did he get a hit? No, but it's a barrel. Well, who the hell cares? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. right. Cool, he hit it hard and he hit it at this launch angle. If it's a warning track flyout, it does nothing. Yeah, I never understood explosive plays for receivers. I get it much more for running backs, especially in this scheme, right? Where, like, the whole idea of, like, zone blocking is that you get explosive plays out of running backs. Mm -hmm. So I get it for that. I, for receivers, I, like, Jarvis Landry's not designed. Like, we're not designing plays that he can turn into explosive plays. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that's not what you use Jarvis Landry for, right? It, it's... If you want to use it for the, the burner third receiver, fourth receiver, and count those, that's a fun little statistic. It's like, hey, look, look at all the explosive plays the fourth guy gets on go routes or, or, or posts, you know? Right. But you're not going to use it right. to apply to your primary guys because they're not always going to be running routes that are conducive to explosive plays. Exactly. Yep. No, so, no, I totally agree. So the stat's fun, but flawed. I think that's important. Well, it's like, like if you want to use explosive plays for Brandon Ayuk, right? Who mm -hmm. had a great season for the 49ers. If you want to use it for him, great. That makes a lot of sense to me. Like, that's a good measuring stick, right? Like you said, burners. Like, Deshaun Jackson. Mm -hmm. When Deshaun Jackson was at his best, he was having a ton of explosive plays. Burner. Like, mm -hmm. he was a great burner, but he was a burner. Tyreek Hill. You better be measuring him using explosive <laughs> plays because if that ticks down, then he's not that, like, He's not the same guy anymore. Yeah. Um, it, it does not make sense for most receivers. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, you look at some of like the, the better wide receivers over the past 20 years or so, and they probably don't chart well in the explosive ca uh, plays category. I mean, Plaxico right. Burris was awesome, but he was not an explosive receiver. You know, Heinz no, Ward. No, no, he, he awesome. exploded other things, but he was not an explosive receiver. Heinz Ward was awesome, not an explosive receiver. Right. No, you don't need, like, people misunderstand what an X receiver is because they see, honestly, they see guys like Deshaun Jackson or Tyson Hill, right? And what an X receiver generally is, is a guy that you give total freedom for routes, mm -hmm. right, that basically give them like four route choices on every play and their purpose is to get open period mm -hmm. their job is to get open and i think that like odell beckham like i know people don't think he's going to be the same guy and i get that because he's coming off an acl i really I, i'm going to be optimistic here i think stefanski and baker will be able to make odell work this time around i do I, I, you actually saw promise of it towards right before the ACL injury. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not super worried about that. I think Baker will be more familiar with offense. I still fundamentally believe the issue with Odell and Baker when Odell was there is Baker didn't know what route Odell was going to run mm -hmm. and was just like forcing the ball to him 
and that what I don't think that will happen again. Yeah, I think that was but, an issue. I, I still think there was um, some um, spillover from last year and the encouragement of Baker just to feed Odell regardless of what's going yeah. on. I still think that was still present. Yeah, me too. And I think that, but so like, just point overall being, Odell is a great X receiver. Like, is an X receiver, just a pure, like, independent of quarterback. He is up there with DeAndre Hopkins, where Julio Jones was at a point. Like, just these guys that change games. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need your X receiver to be. You don't need, like, Odell Beckham probably has had games where he's had over 100 yards with no explosive plays. Where he's had, like, 12 catches, 100 and some yards, no explosive plays. And that's fine. Like, you don't... You need your burner to make the explosive plays. That's mm-hmm. why they're there. You don't need any other receiver to make them. And, and, Especially and, on this offense. And most of the time, uh, the the run-of-the-mill burner guy maybe gets three targets a game, maybe less. Maybe he only gets one catch, and it's for 40 yards. But right. that's, that's his stat line for the game. One catch, 40 yards, that's it. Like... Uh, I'm sure you remember Travis Benjamin. Tra- that's all Travis Benjamin was. My man. I love Travis Benjamin. That's all he was, was just the go route, and he caught the ball 40 yards down the field, and that was his catch for the day. Exactly. Maybe you connect twice, exactly. and he gets to 100. Right. I mean, this is my point about Richard Higgins. I actually think Richard Higgins is more or less a burner, right? Because mm-hmm. he's not fast, right? Mm-hmm. So he's getting these big plays because he's being used in that way. Mm-hmm. Not because he's particularly good at it. Right. So what's the stat? Like he's getting like some like 16 yards, a catch or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at sports info solutions, his on target catch percentage. So like the the lower that number is, the more receiver does to get the ball. So for example, um, I'm just going down the list here trying to find a good example um let's see here jerry judy who actually had a really good season mm-hmm. jerry judy's on our catch percentage was 78.1 percent which means like he was doing a lot of the work it was not Derek carr yes uh richard higgins on target catch percentage you want to guess what it was 12 oh no 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 it's much higher than that six uh 94.1 percent Oh. What that means is Baker was throwing him accurate balls. Like Richard Higgins did no work on ninety four point one percent. Oh, I misunderstood the, the I misunderstood the statistic. My bad. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's like the idea is that how often is the quarterback throwing you open? Mm-hmm. Ninety four oh sorry, ninety four point nine percent. Ninety five percent of his receptions were throws on target. I mean, that that really just tells you all you really need to know. Um, right. Honestly, I mean, let's, I mean, I'm going to filter by the Browns just to see what the rest of the... Jarvis Landry was 91%, which, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like 4% difference. That's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Bill Beckham was 92%. Again, there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. And it's because Alex Higgins was running were very easy routes for Baker to throw to. Mm-hmm. Donovan Peoples-Jones is only 76.5%. 
which would be evidence that Donald, Donovan Peoples-Jones may have been better this year than we thought. It's also evidence that Higgins was probably substantially worse than we thought. Because the idea they're making is that the on-target percentage is even, right? Mm-hmm. So the 95% of throws that Higgins is catching on target is the same as Landry and Beckham, and it's not. Not only is it different routes, different situations, but a much different volume of targets. And I think that's right. something that always gets glossed over, is the volume, the role, and the usage of the player. Right. Because He's running easier routes, getting easier receptions, you're getting, and he's having, on a much different sample size. And he's getting softer coverage. Yeah, well, they're, exactly. They're not they're not shading over to, to protect Higgins from burning them. Okay, they're worried right. about guys like Landry. They're worried about you know Hooper. Uh, if, if for some reason, if he's having a good day and Joku, uh, but they're not shading towards Higgins. I, I, I've Actually, said, and Joku is only eighty five point seven percent on target catch percentage, um, which is strange to me. My guess is there's something else going on in that number. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that. I mean he didn't get a whole bunch of throws, so that number could just be a, a, a case of small sample size. Right. Usually, like you're looking, but for receivers that are covered heavy, that like opponents really kind of worry about, you're looking at like ninety to ninety-two percent on target mm-hmm. catch percentage. Um, so anything below that is somewhat like something else must be going on. Mm-hmm. Anything above that probably means that. They're either getting schemed open very frequently, or more likely, defenses just weren't giving them a lot of coverage. Yeah, and you know I've said it before, and I'll say it again. There was the the one game where Higgins was wide open in the end zone. They were like, "How was he wide open in the end zone?" I'm like, "Because it's Rashard Higgins." Right. <laughs> You're not. Teams aren't concerned with him. It's right. He's an afterthought, and there's a reason. Sure, he's been the beneficiary of some numbers. And he finished with 37 catches for almost 600 yards and four touchdowns. But I mean, yeah, I mean, let's get real here. It's it's because they were worried about Jarvis Landry catching a thousand balls or Austin Hooper. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean it's not like it's you don't. So you want to interesting stuff. So you know all the analytics people love expected points added. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I actually I think there's something to that stat. I don't think it's what analytics people think it is, mm-hmm. but I do think this idea that like how much value on a per play basis is a player adding to your ability to advance down the field. So I think for receivers, like if you just look at it that way, does it tell the whole picture? No. Does it tell half the picture? Maybe. It probably tells somewhere like between twenty five around twenty five percent of the picture in my mind. Jarvis Landry had by far the highest expected points added on the team. Jarvis Landry was 43.4 catching the ball. Mm-hmm. Higgins, you know, God, God, Higgins, like the best like receiver in Browns history, Richard Higgins. Hollywood. 31.8. 31.8. That tells you all you need to know. Mm-hmm. All you need to know. And somebody will say, well, yeah, Landry got many more targets. Well, yeah, that's the point, man. Like, that's why he's adding these expected points. Because he's getting more targets because he's better. <laughs> that's the point, man. I like that. That's the point, is that he's a better player, so he there's a reason he gets more targets. Right. Like, you can't simultaneously say Baker's a top-ten quarterback 
and that Baker's an idiot and just keeps throwing the ball to Jarvis Landry for no apparent reason. Yeah. Right? I, like, <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, we're, we're, we're five years into the career of Rashard Higgins. I think we know what he is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. This... Like, if you want to tell me we don't know enough about Donovan Peoples-Jones to make an a, a accurate guess, like, I disagree, but I can buy that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can I can accept that. I mean, I think that that overall is, like, a fair... Like, he's a, he was a rookie, and he had some promising moments. I don't, like, Richard Higgins? Like, we know what he is. And this idea, oh, he has great chemistry with Baker. Yeah, I'm pretty positive Baker, they could find somebody else that Baker could have great chemistry with. Mm-hmm. And my main argument is that it's great that Baker has great chemistry with Higgins. His chemistry should be with Beckham and Landry. Make that happen. Exactly. Exactly. And it has happened with Landry. Like, I think Landry and Baker have really good chemistry. And I, I don't think you need Higgins. And I'm looking at the, just out of curiosity, uh, the, the two clearly superior receivers on the roster, Beckham and Landry. They're only two years older than than Higgins. No, I know. And, and I know. what was Beckham and Landry two years ago? Yeah. We clearly knew what those two guys were two years ago. And no, that was I, like, two really good wide receivers, if not some of the best in the league. Yeah. I mean, I don't I, – I think the Odell Beckham stuff needs work. And mm-hmm. I think it'll be a big question going into next season. Can they make it work? I, I, I am very optimistic that they can just based on how I saw this team play in the second half of the season. But I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But, like, just get a burner. Like, replace Higgins with a burner. I mean, honestly, Travis Benjamin. Replace Higgins with Travis Benjamin type receiver. Travis Benjamin. I would prefer to be a little bit better. But, but yeah, he's on the 49ers. Bring him back. I'd much rather have yeah. Travis Benjamin than Richard Higgins. Yeah. Uh, he Travis Benjamin got hurt and lost some speed, so I don't think he's the same guy he was when he was here. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like just like any of these, like just draft a burner. I you listen, burners usually go early because NFL teams are obsessed with speed. Like mm-hmm. Henry Ruggs, a solid receiver. I don't think Henry Ruggs is ever gonna be anywhere close to the best receiver on that class. Mm-hmm. But he went early because he's fast. And so they go early, but I still think you get good burners in the second and third rounds. And and I'm sure some of those guys that were drafted because of their speed who didn't develop into elite talents because they were never going to. Those guys that were drafted a few years ago, they'll end up in the in free agency and you can probably get one off the, you know, in the bargain bin type deal. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I, I think they should be able easily to find that player, mm-hmm. especially if they need it early. Those players are harder to get as the season goes on ju- just because teams pick them up. But I feel like the Browns should be able to address that. And, Again, if nobody's offering Higgins a contract and you can bring him back on the same deal, fine. I mean, whatever. I would rather bring back Hodge, like if you had a pick, but sure, whatever. Higgins is not a starting receiver in the NFL. Like, he's not. He's not shown anything to suggest he's a starting receiver. You know what happened when Odell got hurt and Higgins started? Team stacked the box. Mm hmm. 
and they shaded Landry and they stacked the box. You know, right. you know who I wouldn't mind them kicking the tires on on a on a very minimum deal. Who? Because he fits the literal description that I just said: burner, guided, develop. Gonna be a, a probably a bargain bin guy. John Ross. Yeah, I like John Ross a lot. Actually, I thought I I like John Ross a lot. I think he is very limited, but I think he's really good at what he does. And that's if it's a burner. Other good teams that signed him. And that's a burner. He's a burner. That's what he is. He. Was... Yeah. I mean, I don't know what his numbers are on like motion plays. I can look it up really quickly, but um. I think he's a good, he's a good receiver. I have no kind of, I, I don't know. I, I think he's a, I think he's a good receiver. I think he does the burner thing really well. Bring him in on one year non guaranteed deal. See if he can do something. It's yep, it's, it's one exactly. of those uh, you know no risk deals. That's what they. Sh- I think they should probably kick the tires on. I mean because. I mean, he's never played more than 13 games. Uh, he's only played in 11 games the past two years. So, injuries, concern. Sure. But, we know what his skill set is. We know that the thing that the Browns are missing, it's a guy to stretch the field. And as much as some people like to make that argument for the, the X receiver to do that, that's not his job. Right, it's not. It's this guy's. It's a guy like this. Right. What? He was on Arizona this year? Or, uh, not Arizona, um, Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Yeah, Cincinnati, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is a, like, how do you use that offense? I don't know, like, I literally confused, like, I thought Arians, and for whatever reason, I thought, uh, I thought John Ross or Arians, but, um, yeah, Cincinnati, I mean, that's not necessarily, like, the best offense with Joe Burrow, who has a noodle arm. Like, I know... Mm -hmm. I was lower on Joe Burrow than you were and that most people were entering the season. I've not seen one thing this season that suggests that Joe Burrow is going to be a great NFL quarterback. No, and chances are that he probably won't. I mean, it, it, if he can either equal or be better than what they got out of Andy Dalton, that's a success for them, no? Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. I totally agree. Totally, totally agree. I just... Yeah, I mean, so John Ross has only carried the ball in his entire career four times. So my concern would be, like, we don't know how he can do on those motions, mm-hmm. but I also think they've not had, like, the offense, so to speak, like any offensive coordinator that would do that with him. Mm-hmm. So I I would be down. John Ross would be a guy who would kick the tires on. Yeah, one-year, non-guaranteed deal. Yep. See if and he's like, got any. My guess, yeah, no. Um, I, I totally, I like, yeah, exactly. Non-guaranteed one-year deal. And see what happens. That or, again, I, when you hit the third round, mm-hmm. I feel like that's when you start, like, especially on defense, it's much harder to find a starter. Mm-hmm. And so when you hit that, like, third round, I would be okay taking a receiver because yeah. I think you can get 
especially burners. You can get guys that can, could be day one around that spot. Um, and I, I, I don't watch enough college football. I know you do, but everything I've read suggests this is a stack receiver class. Yeah, uh, it should be a, a good receiver class. They did. Uh, they are going to be down uh, one good receiver as Chris Olave is going back to school. Right. Uh, which confuses me a little bit. <laughs> I don't know about you. Wasn't he supposed to be like a top twenty pick this year if he'd come out? I th- I think he was supposed to be at least a you know a first if not second rounder. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I always am down for kicking the tires on an Ohio State guy because I, I, for whatever reason, I've not figured this out. Their offense has receivers that are mediocre when they're at Ohio State or, like, even just solid at Ohio State, mm-hmm. and then they come out they're gangbusters. Like, Terry McLaurin, I always thought was good at mm-hmm. Ohio State. I did not expect him to be, like, what he is in the NFL. I mean, McLaurin is good. Like, he's re- he was that entire Redskins offense. Yeah, Terry McLaurin's really good. I was I was a big Terry McLaurin guy coming out of the draft. Um, yeah, like they just but they just produce guys like that that like have decent production in college mm-hmm. that come out and are just incredible players. And it's I've I've said this for years. Um, it always puzzled me that the Browns would never pick any Buckeyes in the draft. Then like the one time they did yeah, it was but, Terry or it was, uh, it was Brian Robisky and he was a bust. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, like, I, I've always felt that also, like, defense especially. Mm-hmm. I would say it produces great defensive player. I guess they took Denzel Ward. Um, yeah. And I was, again, like, I know, I think we may have disagreed on that pick, but I was really high on Denzel Ward coming out. And outside of his injuries, I think he's been everything I dreamed of that he would be. Like, he's a great man corner. Like, mm-hmm. whoever he's on doesn't get thrown to. Like I, I I'm like about to describe the, Kelsey because Joe Woods is an idiot. But um, anyways, I, I like the Ward pick, but uh, coming into that draft, uh, I didn't expect them to actually draft a Buckeyes player. Yeah, because they never do. Right. And the person I was uh, that I wanted at that pick was Mika Fitzpatrick. Okay, yeah, I mean that would have been a great pick too. I, I actually think if Joe Woods was smart. He would use Ward like the Steelers use Mika Fitzpatrick, or like the Rams use Jalen Ramsey. Like it's that same role, right? Mm-hmm. Like you give Ward the freedom to go wherever he wants, and basically just ask him to lock down a portion of the field, whether that's another receiver or just a part of the field. Yeah. So I, really I pull up the Browns. I pull up the Browns draft picks. Uh, they have two third rounders. So one of those would be interesting to use yeah. for a burner receiver. They have 89 and 91. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I but, mean, first round, I think you've got to draft defensive back or defensive line. Mm-hmm. I don't care what position the defensive back is, nor do I care what position the defensive lineman is. Second round, it should probably be the same strategy or possibly a linebacker if one yeah, I think available. in the second round, because of the 4-3, I think second round is where you add linebacker as a possibility. That's why I wouldn't take one in the first. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the second, yeah, I think you can add linebacker to that. And I get the idea, like, you can't draft for need. I agree. The Browns have so many needs on defense that 
odds are the best defensive player will be at a position of need. But yeah. I also think like you need to consider needle a little bit, right? Like, yeah, there, there are like if I'm drafting a defensive back, he's not going to be a man coverage defensive back. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not because I know that Joe Woods isn't going to switch schemes. And with this draft, my goal is to help me next year and in the future, but focus on next year. So I would draft. Yeah, I mean, I think. Defensive back, defensive line in round one. Defense back, defensive line, linebacker in round two. And then round three, you add receiver. So defense back, defensive line, linebacker, receiver. And then round four. Do we have a fourth round pick this year? Uh, yes, two. That's when I start like spending a lot of effort looking at linebackers. Yeah, so. Because that's where those guys for this scheme, and generally for a lot of these kind of like zone schemes, that's where those guys exist, just in like troves and troves. So they have two in the fourth round, then they have a fifth rounder, a sixth rounder, and a seventh rounder. Okay. I mean, we should be able to get. I, I, I'm hopeful. Like, there should be a linebacker available somewhere along kind of, like, between the second and fifth rounds, you should be able to get one, if not two, linebackers mm-hmm. that are good. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, ideally, through their first four picks, or the picks through first round, through third round, they get one clear-cut starter a guy that at worst is rotational and a burner receiver. I think that's ideally what happens. Yeah. So I'm looking Troy die, who is a fourth round pick for the Vikings. I've loved coming into the draft last year Mm -hmm. linebacker. He was targeted 76 times or sorry. He was in coverage 76 times. He was targeted eight of those on those eight plays. He stopped the receivers did 12% worse than you would have expected them to based on where the catch was. Do I think Troy Dye was amazing? No, but I think that's the type of player you can get in those rounds. Like, these guys, they can go into coverage that don't get targeted a lot in coverage um, that are good. And, like, he had 27 tackles. He had... He was not using pass rush a lot. Um, he was do- more in kind of, like, coverage and then in the run game. And he was good. And that's what you can find there. And you just got to find those guys. Like everybody knew coming out, Troy Dye was going to be solid. The issues with Troy Dye are that he was never going to be a pass rusher. But here's the thing about the Browns. We have linebackers that can rush the passer. Mm -hmm. Like Sione Takitaki and Jacob Phillips can rush the passer. And it doesn't even matter next year because Woods doesn't ever send a fifth guy. So Very rarely. I mean, like you can find a Troy Dye in this draft. Mm Mm-hmm. And the more linebackers we draft, the less chance of Mac Wilson ever seeing the field. And that's good. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and, it, he was like, he he went all off on Twitter about like how much like they're going to come back next year. And all I was thinking is like, I hope to God you're not one of the ones coming back next year. <laughs> I mean, ideally he doesn't play at all next year. Uh, also, ideally guys like Taki uh, Taki play less. Uh, yeah, because no, no matter what uh, Pro Football Focus says about Taki Taki and uh, Phillips, 
they are not the 12th and 13th best linebackers in the league. No. No, they're I listen, I think both of them are good rotational linebackers. Yeah. I I don't think they're worse than that. Like <clears throat> excuse me, I don't have any issue with either of them, but they're not starting receivers. No. Or uh sorry, linebackers. And as rotational guys, they're fine. You need rotational guys. Absolutely. Listen, we've had years where we have not had good rotational guys. So mm-hmm. I'm happy with that. But that's what they are. Let's not confuse it for what it's not. Yeah. Let, let's let's realize the context and where they actually belong in regards to how the defense should be operating. And it's they play 30% of the snaps, maybe 40 at most. Right. And that's fine. Like, you need that. But I, they need... I mean, what I think they need is, A, to re-sign B.J. Goodson. Mm-hmm. Then they need to draft one linebacker, probably two, just to play the odds, that are good in coverage, especially against tight ends. Yes. That is what they need. They need those... That, that's what they need to draft. And one of those guys hits. We I, The Browns don't use three linebackers a ton in between... Taki Taki and Phillips, I think you could fill that third linebacker spot mm-hmm. if, if you're ever doing it, like on rundowns. But they need somebody that is good at tackling and coverage and is kind of big enough to, to stay on tight end. And given the way the NFL is devaluing linebackers in the draft specifically, mm-hmm. I you can find those guys in the third, fourth, fifth round. So I, that's when I, I would just all-out push. Like, I would take at least two linebackers between those three rounds. And if one of them hits, that's perfect. Exactly. And, and I mean, right, that, like, I get, not get, like, the numbers bared out, but even the eye test bears out, like, whatever you want to say. Cornerbacks, every year, there's a massive fallout after the first round. Mm-hmm. Like, first-round cornerbacks tend to be pretty good overall. Like, not a lot of busts. There are, but not a lot. And then after that, they just, like, it is very difficult to find a good cornerback. Yeah, you just um, have to get someone in the right situation yeah. for them to be successful. Exactly. Defensive line, I think you can definitely find gems after the first round, even after the second round. Mm-hmm. But I think what you get in the first and second round with defensive linemen is at a start, starter ready from day one. Yes. Like, even the worst defensive linemen the Browns have drafted, like, um, I always forget his name. We talked about it the last one, the Hawaiian dude. Uh, Danny uh, Shelton. Yeah, Shelton. Shelton was never good, but he was ready to start from day one. He mm-hmm. wasn't, like, making massive mistakes out there. And that's what you get in those early round defensive linemen picks. So that's why early on in the draft I'm focusing on defensive back and defensive line. And then after that, you build out to linebacker and receiver. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the Browns, just they're going to need to play the numbers. Like, listen, everybody says this is an analytics every front office. Okay, great, and let's play the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. The odds of any of these picks succeeding go down as you get further and further through the draft. And that means you're going to have to draft more than one of these positions you're drafting later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that means multiple linebackers. It, yeah, definitely. And you take a, a chance on a guy uh, later. I mean, 
perfect example being Bryant this year. Exactly. Exactly. You'll, you'll, there'll be a guy in a situation later in the draft similar to the Bryant situation. It's like, why wouldn't we take this guy? Well, you were saying something last week, and I think it actually applies everywhere in the NFL, which is this idea like you don't love drafting quarterbacks from these big programs, right? Because mm-hmm. it's very tough to separate out what they're doing versus the talent around them. Yes. I think that's true for a lot of places. Like Harrison Bryant, my guess is they – I can't imagine there was a ton of great players at FAU. Like my guess is they were pretty confident that what he was showing there he could show in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That's what they should be looking for. Like these guys from smaller programs that – and it's harder on defense, right, mm-hmm. because defense is much more reactionary. Yes. But like find a small school that played games against big programs. And see what you find there. Because those guys exist every year. If you can find a linebacker that did nothing but just rack up tackles for one of those smaller schools. Yeah. That, that's a guy you need to look into. There's a reason exactly. he's getting that many tackles. Yep, exactly. Like, every player you draft does not need to be Aaron Donald. I hear people saying, like, oh, well, we can only get one superstar in this draft with the first round. Like, well, maybe, but, like, don't limit yourself either, right? Mm-hmm. Aaron Donald is the first-round pick. He's outstanding, right? There's basically two defensive tackles in the NFL that are just that dominant, him and Fletcher Cox. Mm-hmm. I, I know people think that, like, um, guy for the DeForest Buckner is that good. I think DeForest Buckner is good. I don't necessarily believe that DeForest – like, I think the 49ers were right to move him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's worth that contract. Um. And so you don't need to draft, like, you, the focus should not be on finding the next Aaron Donald or finding the next Jalen Ramsey. The, the focus should be on finding another guy at each of these positions, especially linebacker, that can just be a good starter for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably, with that first and second round, you do want a star. Like, you, you need one of those picks to really hit. But, like, linebacker, like, find the next Harrison Bryant at linebacker. Yeah. F- find a guy was, you can... Was Luke Keekley a first-round pick? Um... I can pick it up. Luke Keekley was drafted ninth overall. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so so don't don't focus on finding Luke Keekley, I guess. But, um... <laughs> There's a linebacker that looks like they can be that good. Like, that's why I actually liked Isaiah Simmons last year, mm-hmm. because I felt like, does he absolutely have an NFL position? Not really. Is he really raw? Yeah. Is he the one guy in the draft that could become a Luke Keekley type? Yes. So, I liked him. But, yeah, I, I just, I think the Browns, so listen, I'm also nervous that, I don't know that the Browns are a great drafting organization. I think people are overconfident based on the Harrison Bryant pick. And everything that I've read suggests that was Stefanski. Like, Stefanski basically said, like, this is a guy I want and I need. Mm-hmm. And I think there is also overconfidence, mainly because it's not John Dorsey uh, making draft right. picks. There's overconfidence because... Yes, we understand that the front office and the regime, they're all intelligent individuals. 
And I think that's something that a lot of people are like, they're smart, they'll make the right move. Well, we've seen them make the wrong move before. And literally people that were here before make the wrong move. Uh, I mean, the best thing they did in this draft is they didn't overthink anything. Like, and I think that was because of COVID, mm -hmm. right? So, like, Jed Wills was the obvious pick at 10. Yes. And they made it. Grant Delpit was one of, like, three or four obvious picks mm -hmm. in that second round spot. And they made it, which was smart. Do we know that Grant Delpit's going to be great? No, but, like, I like the thinking behind the pick, right? Don't overthink it. Yeah. Um, Jordan Elliott was probably a little bit of a reach. And do I think he'll be a good rotational defensive lineman? Yeah. Do I think he'll ever be a starter? I don't, I don't think so. So they missed there, right? Mm -hmm. And then Harrison Bryant was a good pick. And then you start getting, like, kind of these lower-level picks. Like, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a question mark. So, like, I, they, but they didn't overthink things, which I liked. Mm -hmm. I, have, I do not believe they will go through the same process, kind of not overthinking. I think you're right about overconfidence. And I think it, it's probably natural for a lot of new regimes that have a successful first draft mm -hmm. is they start thinking about, like, okay, well, we know we can find the diamond in the rough. And just, like, there's a reason there's a diamond in the rough, because nobody ever finds them. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sorry, drafting Tom Brady was luck. I, people can say whatever they want. He was a six-round quarterback for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing he showed in college suggested he would become the greatest quarterback of all time. It mm -hmm. was luck, and that's fine. If you want to tell me Drew Brees by the Chargers was really smart drafting, I buy that. Yeah. And did he really work out for them? Not really, but towards the end he did. And so, like... That was smart drafting, right? It was second round. It's difficult to find a quarterback. <clears throat> this guy was really small without a strong arm, but he had a very fast release and was super accurate. And the Chargers said, you know what? Like, maybe we can design an offense around that. Mm -hmm. And it, it worked, especially those last two seasons. That was smart drafting. Tom Brady was locked. People don't find diamond in the rust like that. And so the Browns can't go into this draft thinking that's what they're going to do. And I think the 49ers were hit for just drafting two positions that they lost mm -hmm. in defensive tackle and receiver. <clears throat> but, like, Ayuk was just as good this year as Sanders was last year mm -hmm. and is younger and more promising because of that. And I don't really think they missed DeForest Buckner that much. They didn't. Like, that's smart drafting. They did not overthink things. And I think that we'll have a clear idea of what their draft plans are, depending on what happens with free agency. And I'm sure what they do, what their own free agents, outside free agents, uh, will definitely dictate their draft plans, or at least draft strategy. And it will be, a, I guess, topic of nonstop debate on Twitter for until the draft comes. I mean, listen, they could go out and draft kickers every round, and Pete Smith's going to love it. <laughs> so... I also, I never just like we should draft a kicker. I am so against drafting a kicker. There's like no evidence that teams are actually ever good at drafting kickers. Like you got to just find one that's good. Mm -hmm. Like whether it's undrafted free agent or that gets cut from a team or that's just a free agent in general. Like that's what you got to do because there's no evidence that teams are consistently good at drafting kickers. So we'll tend on like, this. Let's, let's end on this. Do, do you re-sign Cody Parkey? Depends on who's available. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm an instant no from from the start, only because 
I felt like he played better than I thought most of everyone else thought he would or everybody thought he would. But we, we know who Cody Parkey is. And right. so, I would rather take a stab or two on undrafted guys. Like, I would yeah. be totally good if they want to bring Parkey back to camp and then bring in two or three undrafted kickers. Yeah. And see out of those, like, three or four guys who impresses the most.